the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, one of the most famous singers of all time said he didn't used to like his own voice. And then we're joined by Dr. Jonathan Lehman to talk about his book, Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, we opened the show yesterday, and, and the point that we made, I think, is still a very important one. But we talked about that Supreme Court story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they uh, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Gorsuch, after our show, I saw this, put out a joint statement saying that that was misunderstood. That's oh, not how it went. So good. actually a good statement oh, going, good. No, okay. this is not how it is a still important conversation, but we want to make sure mm-hmm. that we're. Uh, representing yes. people well here. And so I wanted and Brian, to maybe let's there. consider that they listen to the common good and they had a <laughs> yes, change of Supreme heart. <laughs> we appreciate their listeners. Yes, that's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I saw a fascinating story and, and I wanted to bring it up to you because I think it is a window, not only into this person's soul, but if we're honest, a lot of how we think about ourselves, Aubrey, a fan, not a fan level of fandom towards uh, the band. You too. I mean, if you say you're not a YouTube fan, you're a liar. Like <laughs> maybe you're the the next generation who hasn't quite like understood YouTube's power yet, but like YouTube is like a life-changing band when you and I were growing up. I mean, That's right. yes. I mean, I have been to YouTube concerts. I had Have you? I had YouTube lyrics written on my wall when I was a teenager. Like this is still music you can listen to even now. Because well, I it's didn't, so it's timeless. I I didn't. I'm a, I love you too. I did not know I was I was joined by such a YouTube groupie. I, I did mean, not know that. I love you too. Yes. All right. So you're gonna find this fascinating. Bono and the Edge. Edge is uh, I believe the bassist. He's the other main person in the band. Uh, the guitarist, the lead guitarist, they went on the Hollywood Reporters Awards chatter the other day to kind of reflect on their life in, in a podcast form, to kind of reflect on how the band got started and uh, what it's been like to be one of. I mean, it's fair to say, Aubrey, I think if you talk about top five, top 10 most famous current um not just bands, but also voices and singers. You two and Bono are going to be on that list. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're some of the best-selling albums of all time. Uh, Paul Houston, Bono's voice is so recognizable. Like, right, right. Yeah, yeah, done and done. So with that in mind, I want you to hear what Bono has to say about how he used to think about his own voice. So in this podcast, he first talks about how he has always and continues to dislike the name U2 uh, and how it came. But then the conversation turns to how he thinks of himself as a singer and especially how he used to think of himself. Listen to this. I didn't realize that the Beatles was a bad pun either. 
And, um, you know what I mean? So, I, like, the U2, if I thought, if we thought the implication of the letter and the number, in our head it was, like, the spy plane, it was a, you know, U-boat, it was futuristic. Um, but then, uh, as, as, it, as it turned out, to imply this kind of kind of acquiescence. Um, no, I don't like that name. I still don't really like the name. But uh, what was it? Paul McGuinness, our first manager, did say, look, it's a great name. It, it's going gonna, it, it's gonna to look good on a T-shirt, a letter and a number. <laughs> there it is. Well, and Bono, you have said that it's a little difficult for you these days to listen to some of those early albums. And I just want to note, why do you find it, you've said, a bit difficult to listen to the early stuff uh it's the voice <laughs> uh the band sound incredible uh that i i just I found that the voice very strained and and kind of not macho and i i've been in a car where you know when uh, one of our songs come on the radio and i've been you know the color of as we say in dublin scarlet <laughs> you know i'm just embarrassed <laughs> All right, Aubrey, so arguably one of the most famous, recognizable voices and singers in all of history says, for the longest time, I didn't like my own voice. My own voice mm. made me cringe. Later on, he says he only became a singer recently mm. uh, and that maybe that even hasn't happened yet for people's ears. If you were listening to this podcast not knowing who it was, you would think that this was just kind of some two-bit band right. that never made it. Right. This is you too. Yeah. And yet the Bono uh, is going, I've always been kind of self-conscious about my voice. I've never really liked my voice. I don't like the name of our band. I haven't liked listening to yeah. us over the years. Aubrey, I, I, I don't even know how to get my mind around that. This is Bono and you too. Are you surprised to hear him say that? I mean, I'm also a little bit like, like, I, I hope this sounds okay, but it gives me a little bit of affection towards him because how human and relatable is that? Like, mm -hmm. I don't care if, I mean, this is just proof of our like insecure humanity. That's all I can say. Like, you can be the best singer in the world, right? In one of the most popular rock and roll bands of all time. Yes. And still doubt your ability and your talent. And so I, mean, I, I feel like in one sense, that's just good news for all of us, because I think we're all so self-critical. In fact, I had to record a message for something yesterday and I was watching it this morning and I was like, oh, like just so cringy. <laughs> and you just have to go, you know what, Lord, I'm trusting that you are strong in my weakness and that I don't have a good view of myself. Like, let's just mm -hmm. let's just all trust that, like we're probably doing better than we think we are and that the Lord is somehow using us in spite of ourselves. But I, I'm shocked to hear this, but I'm also not shocked because like, yeah, we all feel this way. I don't know. There's something about it that's just, like I said, very relatable. Well, let's talk about that because I do think it's relatable. Uh, and I do think that we all on some level feel this way. Like, am I good enough? Yeah. Am I this? And, and you've got those voices in your head, even when you've quote unquote made it. Bono has made it more than, uh, 99.99999% yes. of anybody who's ever done what he's done. Yes. He is more successful. Yes. And yet that voice in the back of his head for years has still said, you're not very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's better singers than you. There's this. Uh, Aubrey, I, I feel like this lends us to a very important biblical point for all of us as to where we find our self-worth, mm. how we do view ourselves. 
Uh, and I know you wrote a book about this yeah. this year, but it feels like this yet again is a window into a very important biblical truth here. You know, it's really interesting because when you think about Genesis 1 and God creating man and woman in his image and then God saying that he looked, the Bible saying that God looked at all he made and declared that it was very good. I think so often, and I understand part of this is because of sin and brokenness. So I, I'm not trying to diminish that, but I think so often we look at ourselves and, or we look at the world around us and we interpret that as God looked at everything and saw that it was very bad. And we often just look at ourselves or the gifts that God has given us through the lens of, I'm so not enough. I'm so broken. I'm so marred. I'm so terrible. I can't measure up. And the reality is like God himself created us with his image inside of us. God himself declared goodness and belovedness and delight and destiny mm. over us. And yes, the fall has marred that, but Jesus Christ has redeemed that. And I think so often we're still living like we're cursed by the fall, even in how mm. we see ourselves, rather than living with our new identity in Jesus. And I know this is like seems like a small thing, but I do think even the way we view ourselves or talk about ourselves or experience ourselves is part of that broken lens of the fall that we need to have the Lord like remind us of who he is, that we've been created in his image, and therefore we have value, period. Like whether or not mm -hmm. we're singing awesome or not, we have value, period. So I, I don't know the solution. It just keeps coming back to like we have to remind ourselves of who God is and who God says we are. That's really well put. I think this story of Bono reminds us that you can be the most successful person in the world, and that doesn't necessarily make you feel that way or make you see yourself yeah, as others see you right. or see yourself correctly. And what we're most concerned about is that you see yourself as God sees mm -hmm. you and how God declares mm -hmm. you. Uh, and, and again, if you're like, if I could just be a little bit more successful, this will all be taken care from, of it for me. Remember Bono. <laughs> yeah, Remember Bono and the things that he has wrestled with over the years as he talks about in this podcast. Well, coming up next, uh, Aubrey and I are both being pastors, want to talk about just the importance of the church. Why is it not just a good idea, but why is it essential? Dr. Jonathan Lehman, editorial director of Nine Marks, uh, he co-authored a book with Colin Hansen called Rediscover Church. Why the Body of Christ is Essential. Jonathan's going to join us next to talk about the church here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And if you've been around this show for any amount of time, you know that Aubrey and I are both our primary jobs are that we are both pastors and uh, we, we love the local church. And uh, that's what we do with our time. And also, you also know, we've had many conversations that in this time of COVID, uh, this has been a really difficult and interesting time for the local church. And so with that in mind, there's a really important new book out. It is authored by Dr. Jonathan Lehman and also Colin Hansen. It is called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And we're excited to be joined by Jonathan Lehman uh, right now here on The Common Good. Jonathan, how you doing, bud? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're really glad to have you on. Hey, before we dive into what, we, as I said, is a very important book, before we jump in, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. I serve as a, a non-staff elder, non-staff pastor at Chevrolet Baptist Church. I'm married to Shannon. We have four girls and a cockapoo named Atticus Finch. <laughs> uh, my, uh, 
My uh, my girls are between the ages of five, 15 and eight. So they're kind of mostly teenagers. And then that's the world I'm living in right now. I work full time for a ministry called Nine Marks, which is a ministry out of Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. We are dedicated to helping build healthy churches. We, we work primarily to reach pastors and church leaders with good resources to build healthy churches. That's ninemarks.org to learn more about that. That's so fantastic. And, you know, speaking of church in your book, Rediscover Church, obviously we've all lived through the past two years. Right now I'm actually struggling with COVID myself. My family's all down with it. But obviously we know that COVID-19 redefined or at least tried to redefine a lot about what we consider to be a church. Many of us had to pivot and, and think about new ways of doing ministry or thinking about ministry. From your perspective, how did COVID-19 or even just the last two years redefine what we consider to be a church? Well, let me start by saying I don't think COVID-19 redefines the church at all. I think the Bible defines it. I, I think, but, but, but what your question is getting at and what it's touching on there is that insofar as we have not been fixed on a biblical definition, yeah, our views of it can kind of get shoved around and pushed around. And so I, I think the most prominent thing that we've seen happening is that the quarantines pushed a lot of people to digital church and online church and the idea that there is such a thing as online church. I, I would argue against that. And it's made that particular option more viable. Like, hey, you know, listen, we can get together. I could hear a good sermon. I can be encouraged by some some of the people on this Zoom call or this live stream with me. And this, this is viable going forward. Maybe the definition of church has changed. And I would just say it hasn't. But yeah, more and more people uh, are viewing church in those ways. That, that'd be, in, in, I, I think, the most obvious change in our view of the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And Jonathan, let's continue to unpack that because people probably heard you say that, that you would argue that's not the church or not a good thing. And, you know, we, we weren't online before COVID hit and now we do, but we've been trying to push people back, like just seeing it as, hey, if you're sick, watch at home, but otherwise, you know, get back in. Uh, what are the dangers of online for you and why would you push people push back against that kind of a kind of what's a newer term? I think virtual church. Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I think the word church in the New Testament simply means ecclesia. It means gathering. Right. And so two or three are told to gather in Christ's name and and. God understands that we are not just intellectual creatures. I don't need just an Internet download of information. I actually need embodied participation, existence with you and me. You know, my wife and I did not go on a virtual honeymoon. We went on a real honeymoon. I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a virtual dinner with my kids. I, I actually get together with them and, and sit, sitting there with them is crucial. So what that means is if, if Jesus actually designed us to get together in, in both word and body, Right. Well, not doing the body part means you're going to lose something. You might not realize it, but over time you're going to lose something. Mm. So that, that, that's where I'd begin. Jesus designed it this way. It's actually not good for you spiritually mm. not to physically gather with the church. Now, there are times in life where providential hindrances are what they are. If you're sick, you don't go to work. If you're sick, yeah. you don't go to church. If you're quarantined, you don't. I get that. But let's recognize with those, right? Recognize those things for what they are which are providential hindrances, which are exceptions to the rule, which are not what we want. So if you're not going to work because you're sick, okay, you still want to get back to work because you know it's not good for your job. In the same way, if you can't go to church because you're sick or shut in or corn, okay, fine. 
but there should still be a rock in your shoe that's bugging you. Be like, oh, I want to be with the people of God. I want to gather with them. That I want that impulse to be in your heart. And if that impulse is missing, well, that's because you're there's something you're failing to understand about how Jesus means us to gather. And um, Jonathan, I don't want to keep like belaboring the point, but I do think there are a lot of listeners right now who maybe haven't been to church since COVID or are questioning what it means to belong to a church. What does it mean to actually be a part of the church? And so I, I guess I do want to kind of ask you to lean into your pastoral muscles for a little bit and like pastor our people and and plead to them why it matters for their faith, why it matters for the kingdom, why it matters for their own you know, their own soul and their own contribution that they are back at their church or in their church body. Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I mean, praise God that we can download biblical truths virtually. Right? That's right. Uh, praise God that in, in certain tough situations, we're, we're supplied with that with that device. And so I don't want to say that's bad. I just want to say it's not substituted for the real thing. Uh when church is only online, we can't feel, experience, witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and, and creates these cords of love. So just think about it. You know, maybe all week you've been struggling with hidden hatred towards a certain brother, right? Oh, that guy drives me crazy. <laughs> now I'm sitting at the Lord's table. I see him across the room. Mm, I, I'm feeling convicted all of a sudden. I need to confess. Maybe all week I've been struggling with suspicion towards a sister, but now I'm looking across the room or sitting in the pew with me, and she is singing the same songs of praise mm. as I am. How could she be singing that? Well, Paul tells us to sing to one another. Okay, this isn't just her and Jesus or me and Jesus. We're singing to one another, and there she is. Ah, right? Uh, maybe, maybe I've been feeling anxiety about what's happening politically around the nation, but now I'm sitting there, I'm hearing the preacher declare Christ's coming, victory and vindication. I hear shouts of amen all around me, mm -hmm. and I realize, okay, I'm not alone in this. I, I'm actually allied to this uh, heavenly citizenry all around me, and, and, and we're we're together in this, right? Or or maybe I've been hiding in the dark, but then that older couple invites me over to lunch afterwards, and they say, okay, Jonathan, how are you really? And I sheep is, oh, you know, I'm fine. No, 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 Jonathan, come on, tell us how you're doing, brother. And I've sort of been hiding in the light or dark, but I can see their love. I'm watching it. They're looking at me earnestly, and I'm like, okay, maybe I will share with these people. In other words, you just can't substitute being with people for something we get on the internet. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so my pastoral muscles is like, oh, brother or sister, there's something good here. There's something mm. wonderful here that Jesus intends for you. You want it, right? Don't buy the the substitute. Don't go for 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 a fake sugar when you can have the real thing. Yeah. Again, the book is called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And Jonathan, thrilled to have you staying with us. Let me just ask you, uh, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, this might seem like a basic question, but I also think it's it's a difficult question. You hear people say, you know what my church is, I get together with my friends and uh, we have dinner together and we talk about Jesus, or I go for a walk in nature, that's quote unquote church for me. Help people understand uh, what is the church? What are the marks of a church? What makes a, a church a church? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Uh, I think you need four things. All right. Number one, you need Christians. Can we all agree on that? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're okay. We're good so far. Christian. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have Muslims. You can't have Hindus. You can't have atheists. You, you got to be Christians. Number one. Number two. This is going to be a little bit more contentious. Uh, I think you need to have an assembly, an actually assembly of those Christians. Right? Where do I get that in the Bible? I get that first of all what the word church means. Ecclesia simply means assembly. I get it from Matthew eighteen, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am. I get it from First Corinthians five, where Paul says to them, quoting Matthew eighteen twenty, he says. Uh, when you gather together as uh, in the name of Christ, and my spirit is present, and the power of the Lord Jesus, hand this man over to Satan. Or you, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 18 and 19, he says, when you come together as a church. Okay, so number two, you need an assembly. Number three, you need the proclamation of the gospel. Okay, two or three are gathered in my name, right? Uh, and number four, you need the affirmation of one another through the ordinances. Matthew 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, verse 19, baptize into the name. What do we baptize into the name? Well, so that chapter 18, we can gather in the name. Or think about 1 Corinthians 10, 17, wonderful passage, where it says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let me just think about that verse for a second. We who are many are one body. Well, how do we know we're one body? For we all partake of the one bread. In other words, the Lord's Supper is not like my individualistic, turbocharged, quiet time in the presence of the church meal. Close my close my eyes. It's just me and Jesus, man. I'm I'm, I'm receiving this, man. I feel great. Rather, the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance. It, is, it reveals us as a body, right? It's a church revealing thing. Okay, so what do you need to have a church? You need Christians gathered together to proclaim the gospel and affirm one another as Christians through the ordinances. And that's kind of a historic Protestant tradition. We might disagree about whether or not children, infants are included in that with our paedo-baptist brethren, uh, but, uh, but we all agree on everything I just said. Yeah, that's great, Jonathan. Super helpful. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking now about church leaders, Jonathan, and obviously it's been a, a, a difficult I mean, it's difficult to be a church leader anyway, but especially the past two years, pastors feeling exhausted, overwhelmed statistics coming out that, you know, a large percentage of pastors have one foot out the door or have already left their positions. Uh, what encouragement would you give to pastors in that position right now? Can I, can I say a discouraging word first? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. And this, this is not actually a, a primarily discouragement to the pastor. It's meant to be an encouragement to the average Christian. Notice one thing that I didn't put in, the, in my list. I actually didn't put pastors. Mm-hmm. Pastors are not essential to the church. Where do I get that from the Bible? I get that from places like Acts 14.3, where it says they appointed elders. Uh, it says Acts. It says Paul and Barnabas went back to all the churches and appointed elders in those churches. In other words, in their first missionary journey, they left behind churches without elders. And the reason I want that to be an encouragement to the pastors, the, the member, is, hey, friend, you are the church. Mm-hmm. You're the church. We need you. You're essential, right? What are your pastors given to you for? Your pastors are given to you to be a rightly ordered church. Paul says to Titus, "I left you in Crete." Put, left, put into order what was left remaining and appoint elders in all the cities. So the so elders come along and they teach us how to be the church, how to love and, and walk in righteousness as the church. Okay, my encouraging word to pastors is, brother, you still have that job to do. You are still called to 
help raise up and equip the church to be the church. Nothing has changed for you. And you know what? You knew they were going to give you a hard time. Mm. <laughs> this is a hard yeah. time. They're going to give you a hard time. You, you still have that same job. Um, God, there's a lot more I could say, but let, let, me, let me start there. Yeah. Yeah, that is helpful. I know a lot of a lot of people are feeling it right now. So thank you for that. Uh, one thing that we often get confused about, Jonathan, is this idea of church membership. So I'd love for you to, because I know you you write about it in the book, help people understand just why membership is important. Because I'm not sure that we do that well in our culture, right? We don't like to commit to things or this, that. So what is church membership? Why is it important? Yeah, I think a lot of people have the instinct, is church membership even the Bible? I mean, mm-hmm. well, it depends on what you mean by church membership. If you mean, you know, Costco membership, country club membership, gas station rewards program where I pay a little fee and I get a, my weekly fill up. No, that's not the Bible. Okay. Okay. Do you mean member of the family of God? Do you remember mean a member of the body of Christ? Well, absolutely. That's, that's throughout the Bible. And in fact, what you have throughout scripture is that Christians are joined to churches. So what, what, what a, what do they say to Peter in Acts chapter two? What must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. And the text goes on to say, and 3000 were baptized that day and added to their number. What, what number were they added to? Well, they were added to the membership of the church in Jerusalem, right? Uh, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Corinth. Well, what is the church? The church is its members. If I was preaching, I'd say, write that down. The church yeah. is its <laughs> members, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the church membership is just a foregone conclusion throughout the whole New Testament. To be a Christian is to be a Christian corporately, to be a Christian together. Uh, I think of First Peter, think of First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Once you were not a people, but now you are now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Typically, we think of becoming as a Christian as that second line, receiving mercy, right? Didn't have mercy, now have mercy. But notice what Peter puts in parallel with that. Once you are not a people. Now you are our people. So dad adopts me. Mom adopts me. But now I go home. I look around the room and lo and behold, what do I have? I have brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. in the context of a local church, a local membership church that we put on, we practice that embodied family existence. Yeah. So your church membership isn't a gas station rewards program. It's the picture. It's the living out of what Christ has made us. In other words, friends, you join a church not just because it's good for you, though it is good for you. You join a church because that's what you are, mm. a member of the body of Christ. That's great. Jonathan, you know, it's just the last couple minutes we have with you. One of the questions that we like to ask people who are involved in church or passionate about the church is, are you hopeful for the church in 2022? Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> <laughs> I am absolutely certain, 100%, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I'm 100% confident that Jesus Christ wins. He will be vindicated. His people will be vindicated. Absolutely. And as pastors, church leaders, and Christians generally, we need to move into the future resting on, confident in that certainty. Jesus wins. Mm -hmm. And those who are united to Jesus wins. Those who are who are standing with the Lord of history are on the right side of history, right? Be confident in that. Now, will my church or your church rise or fall? Will my church or, or will the church in America, quote unquote, or, or whatever country you're coming from, will it go through better times and worse times? Well, the Lord knows. I don't know. You don't know. None of us are prophets. Uh, the, the Lord knows. It may be that your church closes its doors. It may yeah. be that the church in America proves more and more 
bad or worse or fall apart. That may happen. Okay, so what do we do? What hope do we hold on to? Well, we hold on to not the particular hope of my congregation, but the hope in Christ Mm -hmm. that he wins, like Mm -hmm. I said before. And so long as you and the members of my church and the members of your churches are doing that, holding on to the hope of the gospel and our Lord, I think we're going to be okay. Mm. Yeah. Such a good word. Again, Dr. Jonathan Lehman, editorial director for Nine Marks, uh, author of many books, including the new book that he has co-authored with Colin Hansen called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. You can learn more about Jonathan and this book at ninemarks.org. That's the number nine marks.org. You can also connect with Jonathan on Twitter at Jonathan Lehman. That's at Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan, such an important and helpful book. Thanks for writing it and thanks for spending some time with us today. Well, thank you for having me on. I pray it's useful. Absolutely. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And Aubrey, we got him back. He is <laughs> the back prodigal with son. Us. The prodigal son has returned. The person uh, who spent two years as my co-host here on The Common Good. He even named the show, I believe. But now he is the lead pastor of teaching at the Bridge Church down in the Nashville area, down in Tennessee, it is none other than our friend Ian Simpkins. My friend Ian, how are you? How are you doing today, bud? He's already uh, laughing. Hey He's already giggling. I love it. Uh, hey, longtime listener, first time caller. Hey guys. <laughs> oh, it's been so good. I was telling you off air that the question I get from anybody who listens to the show is uh, not how is Ian doing, but do you still talk to Ian? Do you still talk to Ian? And I'm like. Let's have him on the show. That's right. That's right. Let's have him on the show. So let's do this, Ian. Uh, Where are you at? What are you doing? Tell people, catch them up. You left the show about uh, a little bit over a year ago. Uh, Just where are you at right now? What's going on in your life? Well, I, I do need to say when when Brian first texted me about uh, coming back on the show, I responded with uh, "New phone, who dis?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, he was gracious enough to still invite me. No, <laughs> it's honestly I'm laughing, Aubrey, because it's it does my heart so good to hear you guys' voice, and I just want to say you guys are killing it. Like I I still listen to the show. I'm so impressed with like the content and the level of nuance and winsomeness. Like it. Not to get all mushy at the beginning, you guys are doing such a great job. <laughs> Thanks, and I'm, bud. I'm just oh, so grateful. Thanks, I'm so Ian. grateful. Uh, what was the question? What am I doing now? Like, what <laughs> yeah, tell us about like? your church. You're at the Bridge <laughs> Church. Catch us up on your family. What's going on? Yeah, this this church. Well, let me do family first. So we're uh, we're expecting our third child oh, uh, this, this summer. Thank you. We are thrilled slash terrified, but it's uh it's been it's been so cool even just to see the community that's rallied around. Katie and uh, just a lot of just a lot of love. I think in this church, we we love this church. We've been here. I came down in March, so it's been it's been a wild journey, as you know. There's like a, a thing called COVID that makes everything wonky, but the community here has been remarkable. The team here is just unreal. Like I've just loved serving with this team, and uh, it's just a deeply like collaborative, like non territorial. There's just like a like a it feels cliche to say, but there's just like a real sense of like spirit ledness here. Awesome. And uh, it's been awesome. And it's been wild to learn a new environment. You know, I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. So we're navigating all that too. But 
uh, it's, it's been a trip, man. We're loving it. Oh, that's so cool, Ian. And part of the reason that we wanted to have you on is because I don't know if you know this, but it's the show's three-year birthday. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And obviously, you helped name the show. You were part of building the show. So that's kind of fun. So thanks for coming on to celebrate three years together. Oh, my Um, pleasure. Tell us about... So obviously, Nashville feels like a totally different world than Chicago. Tell us how God is at work in Nashville right now. You know, one of the things that uh, I tried to prioritize early on was just getting coffee with other pastors in the area, just like people who have been in the trenches way longer than I have. I, I, uh, I'm i a big believer that what God wants to do in any city is way bigger than any one church. So trying to, to build some relational ecumenism there. And I have been so impressed with the vast majority of churches' willingness to like link arms with each other. That mm. honestly really surprised me. That that gives me so much hope for what I think God is preparing Middle Tennessee to experience. And I think what, what has been so fun is, I don't know, just getting to hear the stories of people, some of whom have been down here 20, 30, 40 years, like faithfully pastoring their people, loving their city. Like that was such a cool way to to kind of get some of the backstory. And it feels like, the Lord is preparing our area in particular for, I don't know, like like the type of John 17 unity that I've always like hoped and prayed for. But honestly, like deep down wondered, is that even, is that really possible? Mm. Like, it's so easy to get, you know, this so easy to get kind of siloed and inward focus on like me and mine and what we're doing. And, you know, that's usually even like good stuff, but I just been so encouraged by that. And I, I think that's been, and you know, there's, like Middle Tennessee is a land of transplants. Like we, if you walked in our parking lot on a Sunday, there's a, there's as many out of state license plates as there are Tennessee ones. Oh and wow, that feels wild. So if, in some ways, sort of feels like the whole country is coming here, which both you know presents some really interesting but exciting like ministry opportunities going forward that I'm I'm super excited about. Uh, not just the whole country, all of Illinois is going there. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm noticing (laughs) it's basically all of Illinois. So, all right. So as Aubrey said, the show is three years old as of last weekend or so. And you and I did the show for two years together. Uh, Like you said, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, I mean, just (laughs) making it up as we went. We were joking that on our very first segment, I said the wrong name. You kind of got tongue tied. Uh, But I would just love to know favorite who comes to mind one or two of your favorite guests in the two years that we did it? You look back and you go, man, that interview was so fun. Or I can't believe we talked to that person who kind of stands out for you. Wow. That's a great, that's a great question. I was just reading some Jim Wilder uh, a couple days ago. He's, he definitely, I don't know. I, I come back to that conversation a lot for some reason. A, a, a neurological theologian is uh Maybe the coolest title anyone has ever had, <laughs> but he was, I don't know. He was just so, um, yeah, so measured and wise and thoughtful. I had, I had such a blast with that conversation. I loved talking with Mark Galley, you know, in mm-hmm. the midst of all that kind of craziness and even seeing uh, employed Mark Galley and then uh, retired Mark Galley and, uh, yes. and ju- juxtaposing some of that. But I don't honestly – and I, I am not kidding. One of my favorite interviews was with Aubrey Sampson. I, oh, Aubrey, come on. Like, I, 
I'm being totally honest. Like I was so I'm being sincere. You are. I, I know that you are. You were super excited for that one. I remember Aww, so, so excited. And I was and I, I remember leaving that interview thinking, man, I'm so glad that Aubrey is in this city, that she's mm. like pastoring and leading. And I don't know. I it like made me happy not just for the show, but for like the region. Like I'm so glad that her voice and leadership is one that's like being recognized and platformed and yeah, that oh, definitely that's stands so out. Encouraging, to me. Aubrey. He just said you. He said you, and did not say the forty-five minute sit down we had with Rick Warren. So I'm <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to go tweet that right now. <laughs> uh, if you want that, like, as an endorsement on your next book, like Aubrey, okay. better than Rick Warren, better according to Rick Ian Warren. <laughs> I like it. Done and done. Speaking of tweeting, Ian, uh, Brian and I like to read your tweets to each other, and oh, we've. No. Heard, I've heard from Brian. Brian, you may have to explain this. That in the past, you would just read Ian's tweets to him, and that's have exactly him right. We did an entire segment that was just <laughs> Brian reading Ian's tweets, and he'd have to explain them. Okay, so <laughs> can I do it? Can I take part in this? Oh, gosh. Yes, yes, sure. do it absolutely. Okay, here's one. You ready for this, Ian? Uh, no. Ron's gone wrong is greater than Matrix Resurrections. Oh, eat no contest, Aubrey. Not even an exaggeration. <laughs> Have you seen the new Matrix? I actually wholeheartedly agree with you about this, but oh, I want to hear you unpack you. it. Well, I, I'd never even heard. I'd never heard of Ron's Gone Wrong, but I got two little kids and uh, my wife and in her infinite wisdom was like, I, we should watch this as a family. And I'm like, I'm openly weeping. And yeah, I'm it was so and sweet. It was such a great movie. But it was also like the 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 concept was brilliant. I yeah. thought the script was I don't it was nuanced. I was I was so and I had just watched Matrix like a day or two before. I was like, this is a great palate cleanser after that garbage fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aubrey, what you don't know is you just walked into one of the main uh, things that would happen on a daily basis with Ian and I. Where and see, this is why he needs you in his life when uh, on the radio is because. <laughs> He would bring up stuff from pop culture, from TV, from movies. And I regularly said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never That's seen true. that. I've never. So I've seen, I don't even know what Ron's gone wrong is. And I know what the Matrix is. And I have never seen it. It's like the resurrection <laughs> one, the new one. So you walked us right back into old ones. All right, Ian. So we're going to do this many more times because this is too fun. By the way, Aubrey and I still do grinds my gears. And one of my favorite things to tell Aubrey is she's really good at it. And you were terrible at it because you would never. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. Actually <laughs> bad thing. Uh, but she she instead like she unloads. She goes. And so that's. All right, man, let's so end this way and then we'll have you back on soon. Hopefully, okay. but let's do this. Uh, one of the things, you know, has been the heartbeat all three years of, of this show when you were here. Now, when Aubrey's here, it's like we just like to try to encourage people. And we're very pro church. We're very hmm. pro church. So I want to let you be pastoral. Let's 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 end with that. Uh, talking to the listener out there who's just really discouraged. Like, I'm not even sure I, I want to go to church anymore. I'm not sure which way is up. I don't really know where to find any hope in my life. We want to give you a minute or two. Why don't you speak to that person? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I keep coming back to is just how many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, mm. of crying out to God, of saying things like, are you still there? Are you paying attention to me? Have you forgotten me? This this is the songbook of Jesus. And I know that, Aubrey, you're, you're the lament expert, so I'm not saying anything <laughs> that you haven't said. But, like, 
I think so often in Christendom, our temptation is to try to get people over their hopelessness real quick. Like we try to solve it with a, a quote or a lyric or a verse. And I think that's all well intended. But to say to people who are feeling tired or discouraged or beat up, one, uh, I get it. I've been there. Two, it's normal that you feel that way. Like, I think one of the best things we can do is sometimes just affirm people in like what they're legitimately feeling and experiencing. Three, uh, tears are prayers too. Like mm. you don't have to clean that part up to bring that to God. You don't have to get your act together or uh, feel better about your circumstances. Like that's as much worship as, as anything. And I think part of what I love and what's often, I think, overlooked in passages like the Great Commission, because we go right to the action piece of it, but we forget the presence piece. He says, I'm, I have all authority and I will always be with you. Like, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It's not just go and do these things. It's like my, my presence goes with you in the mountaintop and the valley and everything in between. And I don't know, for me, that even when that doesn't necessarily translate to immediate hope, like the thought that the God that spoke the universe into existence is present with me uh, is something that I, I, I hope I never grow tired of, uh, even when I'm like coming unraveled at the seams. So I hope, I hope somebody feels at least encouraged by that truth. That's a great word. Again, Ian Simpkins is the lead pastor of teaching at the Bridge Church. Uh, also, my former co-host up here at The Common Good. You can uh, listen to Ian's sermons or learn more about the church at bridge.tv. And as we've talked about before, Ian is a prolific tweeter. So follow him on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Ian Simpkins. Man, we miss you. Let's do this we again. Do. It's re- really glad here, to hear Ian. you're doing well. And uh, can't wait to, until you... Aubrey and I both have three kids in our house. And so welcome yes. to the club and we're excited for you, man. Well, tr- truly an honor to, to be back. I, I can't thank you guys enough for having me back. I love you guys. We love you too, man. Love we'll do this too. again soon. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, uh, sometimes, you know, we like to laugh. That's what we did with Ian and others. Sometimes we like to look at things to kind of encourage us when we go to the Good News Network or sometimes. But sometimes I think one of the best things we can do here on the show uh, is tackle the difficult questions, Mm. tackle the things that people are really wrestling with. Uh, So we were thinking about this just through some random stories that that our producer passed our way. And let me just read some of the headlines, right? Uh, There was a suspect recently captured in a furniture store slaying in an L.A. neighborhood in which a young girl, a young lady was just completely senselessly murdered. A 70-year-old nurse uh, who was killed in a random assault at a bus stop the other day. I was telling you the story in New York City. Uh, of the lady who was senselessly and randomly killed because she was senselessly pushed in front of a, a subway train the other day. And yeah. We could keep listing senseless stories. You think of the shootings in Chicago and other things. Uh, but Aubrey, we read these things and we don't read them to be like, uh, you know, like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at. But instead, when we read them or hear them on the news or whatever, they just become overwhelming. Hopefully yes. they don't become white noise. Instead, they just become overwhelming and like, the senseless nature, right? All, yeah. all of these are tragedies, but, but when we're dealing with senseless tragedies yeah. and then the senseless nature of a thing like, uh, uh, what, there was like a tsunami in, uh, yes. uh, on the other side of the world recently or whatever else it might be. 
it can cause us uh, to look at God and go, I don't understand you. Mm. Like, I don't understand where you are. And this, these are big stories. But what about when there's senselessness in your own life, a loved one who gets sick or or whatever else it might you get sick or whatever else it might be? Yeah, right, right. How do you or how do we help people, Aubrey, um, understand? Like, how do we view God in light of the senseless nature of things and tragic nature of things that we see all the time around us? So I almost think you have to reframe the question and and not make it about God, where were you, God, who are you? But we have to recognize that evil is real. I mean, that's what any time, I mean, the scripture even talks about this in, in, in Genesis, like that before God spoke um, the world into existence, there was formlessness and there was chaos. And actually in the ancient Near East, that chaos is described as evil. And so anytime that we experience something that is senseless, like literally we can't make sense of it. Anytime we see something this chaotic and dark and formless, that is evil. And mm. and I think sometimes we are way too quick to skip over the reality of evil demonic forces in this world. Mm. And um, so I, okay, I would say that like we have to acknowledge like evil is real but I also think the fact that evil is real and horrifying gives us, um, in one sense, a foundation to say, okay, then there has to be something that opposes evil. And that mm. means God is real and God's goodness is real and God's power is real. Why God didn't stop these certain things from happening, I don't know. But what we can trust from God's word and from God's um, evidence on this planet is that he is still sovereign over all and will one day claim the victory in totality Yes, and will somehow, I mean, I don't mean to minimize this awful, horrific pain that happened, but somehow there will be life that comes from this. Mm. And that's only because God can do that, only because God is is um, in authority over the evil things of this world. And okay. so it is one of those moments where when things are senseless, you just have to lean back on like, okay, I'm choosing faith and I'm choosing to believe that God is writing a bigger, better meta story over this and that in time all will be well and all will be revealed. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think we can wrestle with these and just wash them away. We have to wrestle and say, yes, senselessness is evil and God is on the throne. Mm, that's really good. And uh, I guess what, uh, you know, kind of where I would add to that is this, uh, and this doesn't make it easier either, but we weren't promised that these things wouldn't happen, right? right. Like sometimes right. we have to be careful about claiming things that aren't in fact promised to us. Mm. Jesus said that there will be trouble in this world yeah. and that, that that's coming, but that take heart, he has overcome the world. And so what does that mean? It, it does point to what you were talking about, Aubrey. There is, there is coming a day uh, when these things are not a reality. Yeah. And we can hold on to that. And and it's also, it's that already not yet nature of this world that Jesus has won the victory, but it is yet to be fully realized. Uh, but so we can, like you said, lean in on the presence of God, the power of God, the ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. And we look at the book of Revelation and say, there is coming a day where none of these things will happen, where we're not going to wake up in the morning 
uh, and go, all right, what bad things happened yesterday? How many people were shot in the city today? Uh, How, you know, what happened and what's what's the next shoe to drop in my Mm -hmm. life that's going to be difficult? Like we don't have to live in that fear. Uh, But I, I think there's, there's helpfulness in acknowledging there's going to be bad things. There's yes. going to be randomness. The world is a sinful place with brokenness and the effects of sin, but that Jesus has won the victory. And when one day and the day is coming where we will fully uh, know that victory. And Aubrey, I guess I would make one more point and you can speak to this. Uh, do not, do not, do not go through the brokenness and struggle struggles and randomness of life alone. Mm, that's uh, you so need, good. We need other people to walk yeah. that journey with us. We know that from our own personal experiences, but also from the words of scripture, correct? Yeah. And I, you know, I think this goes back to our interview earlier in today's show with Jonathan Lehman. Part of the power of the church is that community. So when we experience these trials, which are exactly right, God said we would experience them when we experience evil we have the power of our community to remind us to hold on and to have faith and to carry each other. And when it feels like it's too much to hold and too much to make sense of, we can lean on other people. When we don't have the faith, we can lean on other people's faith. Like that's the beauty of the communal aspect to our faith is we are called to be a body. And so I, I think you're exactly right, Brian. It is a it is a good call not to carry these things or face these things alone, even if they're distant from you. These stories in the news can get very discouraging, but to go back to your Christian community and help carry these things together. Absolutely. So uh, difficult. It's one of the most difficult things we can face in life. What do we do when faced with the hardships and the randomness of this world? Not an easy question, but one that we want to wrestle with together uh, and help you wrestle with uh, as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to close the show uh, with an amazing testimony of a man who says, I entered prison a Protestant. I left a Christian. What is God up to in the prisons? We're going to end with that story next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And we want to end our show with an encouraging story that you uh, found for us. It is uh, the story of, uh, I believe the guy's name is David Hamilton. Yes. Uh, And it's simply titled this, I entered prison a Protestant and I left a Christian uh, he talks about being in prison and God kind of miraculously kind of revealing himself and, and winning him an amazing thing God did at his lowest time. Let's listen to a couple minutes of his story. I suddenly had such a desire that I wanted to change. Now, where did that come from? The whole desire that I wanted to change. I had never, ever thought I wanted to change my life. My life was what it was. But I thought, I wish God would take away from me the hatred and the bitterness and the violence. It would would be nice just to be normal. And I thought, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And then I know the devil was saying to me, "You, you can't be forgiven. What you've done, do you think you can just ask God and you'll be forgiven? But yet I had read a verse in the Bible looking through that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And I thought, I do believe in God, but I'm going to go to hell. And I thought, I'm going to ask Jesus Christ to forgive me. 
and to save me. And I did, I waited till my cellmate was sleeping and I knelt down even at the side of the bed and said a short prayer. Ask God to take away my sin. I thanked him for sparing my life. And it says, God, if you change me, I will serve you the rest of my life. And that was just it, I prayed. But when I woke the next morning, I remember I opened my eyes and I thought, wow, I'm a Christian now. All right, Aubrey, you, you gave us that story and I yeah. love it. I love it. What, why did you want to talk about this? What well, encourage, let's ask it. What encourages you? Yeah. What gets you fired up by this story? I mean, you know, the background of David Hamilton's life is he was a young man in Ireland and he was a Protestant. Um, and he ended up being attacked by some young Catholic boys, like beaten up and thrown into a river. And um, that day set him on a really destructive course. He actually became a political terrorist. He joined an illegal organization called the mm. Ulster Volunteer Force, also known as UFV. And he saw himself as a righteous activist fighting for loyalty to queen and fighting for loyalty to country. But he committed several cr crimes. I mean, he called himself a terrorist. He committed a bombing, a bank robbery, armed robberies. And uh, as we heard from the audio, he was in prison at age 17. He got released, but then was sent to prison again for 12 years. And it's just a, almost like a Paul-like conversion, okay? Because here's a guy who was a Protestant, was passionate, a zealot in a lot of ways, but was not a Christian. And his story is that while he's in prison one night, he reads a tract, right? Which is mm -hmm. a, you know, a Christian evangelical tool that I think a lot of us make fun of, but we see God using it in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. And he started thinking about how God certainly couldn't love him and God certainly couldn't save him because he was a bad guy, an evil guy. He even says that about himself. But he started thinking about this night in jail, how all of these terrorist acts he committed, God actually spared his life. He should have died, but he didn't. And began to wonder, oh, if God spared my life, could that actually mean that God loved me? Mm. And he said that in prison, he felt the voice of God calling him to himself. And suddenly he had a desire that he wanted to change. And he was like, look, that desire was not for me. I never mm -hmm. wanted to change. I thought I was doing the right thing. And I, I, but I wanted God to take away my hatred and my bitterness and my violence. And he asked God to forgive him. And the crazy thing is he he just felt like the next day he woke up in prison and he said he felt full of joy. Like his mm. whole life changed in that moment. And I think why it's so inspiring is just anytime you hear God pursuing someone, whether they have these like crazy testimonies or even just in their daily lives, like God showed up through scripture, through a tract, through a remembrance and draw someone to themselves, it just shows you the life-changing power of the gospel. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, this, I mean, this man's total life was changed simply because he read a verse in scripture, he read a tract, and he thought about his life and saw God's hand in it. And then the Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way. And, and I don't know what to say why that's encouraging, except just to like, it puts you in awe of the goodness of God and the power of God, doesn't it? Such a great story. I think it reminds us of a couple of things. Sometimes we can get cynical, right? Those of yeah. us who've been in the church for a long time, uh, we can get cynical. And then you hear these stories and you're like, oh, wait a minute. God is still at work. He's still saving miraculously. 
uh, he's still doing these things and it, it fires you up, right? It, like it, it renews your own faith. That's yes. one. Two, there are people out there uh, who are thinking about people in their own life who feel to them for, to keep that imagery going unsavable. Uh, uh, like, can this person ever be reached by God? Can, this person seems so far away. And uh, this story reminds us that nobody is to nobody outsins and outpaces the the grace of Jesus Christ, right? Like, yeah, like God is good. still in the business of saving miraculously, the same way we read about uh, in the early church. And so, hopefully, that's an encouragement to you as well. But just a reminder that God is still in the business of saving and redeeming and transforming, and He can use tracks, Aubrey, which. Uh, admittedly we've made fun of mm -hmm. uh he can use you he can yep. use prison he can use a vision he can use all sorts of things uh but we know that god is still doing that so we thought that would be an encouraging way to end uh be encouraged god is at work uh even when we don't see it and we can be praying towards that end well thanks for joining us today we're hoping aubrey tomorrow is is bounced back even a That's little right. bit more That's right and uh but we will be back again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m for aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. you've been listening to the common good on aim 1160 hope for your life Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.